Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. So, Catherine, what would you say is one of the number one rules as a therapist? Uh, well, the number one rule as a therapist is don't sleep with your client. I would agree. And what do you do if you are supervising um, individuals and you find out one of your employees might be having an affair with a client? I absolutely have no idea what I would do, but thankfully our guest Seisha is going to come on the podcast and tell us about what she did in a very similar situation. I know it's a good one. It's juicy. We learn a lot. Uh, And again, it's that number one rule, but I don't know how often we talk about it. Not that often. So before we get into Seisha's story, just a reminder that this episode is for entertainment purposes only. It's not a substitute for therapy itself, ethical guidance, or clinical consultation. All right. Well, this is episode number 35 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. Seisha, welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with y'all. Well, before we get into situations that made you feel like you were a bad therapist, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Definitely. So I am a mom of two. I just had a newborn three weeks ago. Oh my so, gosh. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> Pause. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Oh so, my goodness. <laughs> try, <laughs> trying to juggle these roles of having a two-year-old and then having a newborn in the house. Oh my God. Well, props to scheduling and showing up, like looking fabulous for a podcast three weeks after giving birth. That's amazing. It really is. And it sounds like your littlest one has a birthday right around the holidays, which is my oldest one has a birthday right around the same time. And let me tell you, you are in for some really fun December's coming up. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, w- I never wanted a child to have a birthday in December. I was like, I just don't feel like it's fair. But I know. But, but you know what? You go over and above to make it extra special and you, it's, you just pay the price later. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I said that she'll have a half birthday. So we'll do yeah. something in December yeah. too. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, so, that's yes. the big news. Um, but tell yeah. us more about yourself and your practice. <laughs> Yes. So um, in the past, I worked actually 10 years as a therapist and also as a program coordinator. And I am in the state of Oklahoma and I saw oversaw various locations across the state. So I traveled a lot and had 
about 500 clients that were underneath me and had about 50 employees. And so I had um, a counseling role and then also a clinical supervisor role that I took on overseeing some programs. Um, And then once I had my two-year-old, I had him in the midst of COVID, uh, I transitioned and completely, I didn't want to travel anymore. And so I ended up working from home, took a leap of faith and went all in on developing our own coaching program. Um, I did some coaching remotely for about five years now and decided just to go all in on that. So me and my partner have Inner Anthem Academy and we do personal development and coaching. So being able to use my background as a therapist and work a lot on health, nutrition and mindset, a lot of mindset. That's incredible. What a pivot of the career. I love hearing that. There's so much we can do with our skill set if we just open our minds to it. You're completely right. I feel like I do much more counseling now than I did in the past. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, Seisha, tell us about what you wanted to share about being a bad therapist today. Oh gosh. So this situation was a little bit of a juicy one. So some information started floating around one of the clinics that I oversaw that one of my nurses was actually sleeping with a client. Oh my goodness. So well that well let's just get right into it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's not funny. However, um, is this a was this in 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 the clinic or the organization? Is was this like unheard of? Like was is this big news? Like what was this like having this rumor float around? For me, it was big news. I mean, I feel like as a therapist, you know, you hear those those scary stories of people going in front of their licensing boards and you know getting slapped on the hand and using, losing their license for it. And I just hadn't really heard about it as far as a nurse, um, having sleeping with the client. And then even myself, not really knowing what direction to go with that because we have Mm -hmm. different boards that we report Mm -hmm. to. Um, so yes, it was all new for me. I had never had a situation like that happen and I really didn't think about it happening (laughs) either. Yeah. I feel like this is so interesting. And I actually don't know if we've ever talked about this yet on the podcast, how as Mm -hmm. therapists, we often do interact with many different professionals in the mental health field and like the health, you know, the physical health world. And we Mm -hmm. don't always know, even state to state for our licensures as therapists can be so different and our boards and ethics are so different. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to think about this, that you were overseeing these clinics that had nurses and then not only having to be like, okay, what is like our rules and standards and ethics for the clinic, but then for nurses. So how did you start to navigate Mm -hmm. figuring out the ethics and the boards and all of that for a nurse that you were overseeing? So my first thing was, you know, go to, go to the board website and Mm -hmm. try to start finding out, you know, doing some research and digging on, you know, what are their code of ethics that they're required to follow? Um, And then being able to try to navigate through some of that and seeking consultation from, Mm -hmm other nurses. And that was a little bit tricky because it's like, how do I Mm -hmm. seek out that opinion and go talk to other nurses without necessarily telling like what I feel like is going on, but it circulated really quickly as far as, you know, small office Mm -hmm. and what are you going to do? Is this really going on? So I feel like I had to put on my little spy gear and (laughs) that's how I went about it. It's like, is this true? Is it not true? 
How did you find out if it was true or not true? So the way that things are set up is it's actually really private for a nurse to give medication to a client because this was for um, drug treatment. So everything needed to be, you know, really confidential for the clients. So there's like this little hallway and you turn the corner for them to, you know, give medication and dispense medication. Um, so I would actually just kind of put myself in one of the offices that was nearby and just be kind of listening to some of the interaction and see if I caught on to anything that seemed inappropriate. Um, and yeah, I said I was undercover. How did I have so many questions about this mm-hmm. because this Go is ahead. not a situation that many therapists <laughs> find themselves in. No. Um, and obviously, it would we would not be doing this if this nurse was your client. It wouldn't be our job to go figure out, is this indiscretion actually happening or not, right? Mm-hmm. But you, as the supervisor, this was part of your job description, I would assume, to determine uh, if people who fell under your purview or your supervision were acting inappropriately or unethically mm-hmm. or harming the the client or the patients right. in some way. So this was part of your job description. How did that how did that feel, you know, playing inspector gadget or whatever, <laughs> um, you know, sneaking around or tiptoeing around, listening in on conversations? What was that like for you at work to play that role? Distracting, first of yeah. all. Uh, you know, it's like there's so many different moving parts and you're trying to t- give everybody the best care between clients and also employees. So just kind of keeping an eye out. Luckily, people are pretty routine. So you kind of find out, you know, this is kind of the normal time that they come in to get their medication. So just making sure I was free and available just for myself. Like, okay, this person's here. Let me go kind of position myself. So I said distracting, but I wanted to make sure that I did not react too quickly before actually having information. As we know, I mean, rumors are rumors. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to have someone lose their job and also go into a situation where I know somebody's going to be extremely defensive without having some information there. Like I've heard these conversations or I've you know gathered this proof myself. Um, so I wanted to feel really confident in my decision-making in that situation as well. Yeah. Now I'm wondering, I feel like this does translate, like our skills as therapists do translate into so many other roles, like being a supervisor, being a leader, so many things. What therapeutic skills do you feel like you were pulling on in these moments of like doing some investigating, but then also trying to prepare for a conversation? Like, do you feel like you were really pulling on those therapeutic skills? That is a great question, Allie. Thank you. Yes. Listening more than anything. It's like, I wanted Mm -hmm. to listen to those conversations Mm -hmm. and then also not go into that conversation with that employee, just pointing my finger. I'm like, I want to hear what she had to actually say um, and what her responses were instead of just feeling like she was going into that situation under attack as mm-hmm. well. We all make poor decisions at times. Absolutely, we do. Um, however, some of them are worse than others. <laughs> and yeah. for this – so. I I love how you're able to clearly identify some of the skills that we spend years, if not decades, building um, in our clinical work and bringing them over to your leadership role because listening is so important. And it sounds like you, you really wanted to make sure that you weren't reacting to rumors because 
quite frankly, if I heard the rumor that someone under my supervision was sleeping with a client, I would feel, I would want, I, I just, I immediately have this urge in me to act, like, go do something, fix it, like, help. Mm-hmm. Um, but you wanted to gather, you knew you needed to gather information if there was any chance of being able to not only help your employee, but also the patient and and, and resolve the situation appropriately and ethically um, as, as you need to do. So you gathered information. Um, mm-hmm. I assume, um, just reading between, or listening between <laughs> the lines here, that you overheard conversations that did inform in fact that they were having a sexual relationship. Is that right? Mm, correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you had some clear facts here. And so you then, I assume, went and met with this employee. And at this point, I assume this employee knows that this rumor is going around. Like they have to, if, if it spread like wildfire, they have to know that they're getting called in to meet with you. They must have a, a little, little like inkling that it has to do with this. So what was it like sitting down with this employee, having this information, knowing that they're, they're most likely having a sexual relationship with a patient? What was that like? For me, I was really nervous about it. I mean, I felt really sure. anxious going into this conversation because uh, I know, you know, it's like I'm about to change someone's life being, you know, telling them that's like, they're no longer going to have a job with, you know, with our company. Um, but even backtracking to the previous question, it's like, along with the listening, it's like, you brought it up. It's like, we don't want to do any harm to our clients or even feel like to people in general. And so that like that weighs heavily on your mind and especially clients that are, I feel like coming from an addiction standpoint as they get really comfortable and really secure in where they're at. And also knowing that it's like, I'm going to have to make a decision that's going to change their immediate environment too. And, you know, how could that trigger them and lead to any other types of situations that they have sobriety and how am I, how could I potentially change that as well? So lots of different things going on in my mind. Um, But yes, I felt really nervous going into that conversation and I was like, we, we just have to confront it. So she came in. I'm like, I'm sure you've heard the rumors going around. I feel like that I've confirmed that these things are correct. And, you know, do you have anything to say about it? And just opened it up for conversation. Wow. Point, very short, sweet, factual, to the point. Open, yes. Brought it into the room, as we say in therapy. <laughs> heard the rumors, bringing the rumors in. I also heard that what you said, and I know they're true, bringing that in. So now we're all on the same page. I guess we'd uh, right here. I, I, my 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 personal curiosity is what did this employee say? But I don't think that is relevant to our conversation because this is really more about your experience. Mm-hmm. So without, I guess, you know, respecting the the employees, I guess a- autonomy here and whatever they did say, can you just give us some overview of you know did it did were they agreeable? Was there pushback? How did this conversation go in generality and themes and emotions for your experience? Uh, she was very defensive. And so I felt like I was having to myself, and I'm sure we find ourselves in all the types of situations like this, where we're having to maintain our emotions and to be very calm. Um, and so she was defensive, got really angry as well that I'm, you know, accusing her of something. And for just myself, it's like, okay, I have to remain calm. I have to look at the situation as a whole. And I wanted to stay very, like, as a matter of fact, it was like, I don't think there's room for a lot of discussion. Um, 
I want to hear what she has to say, but this is pretty much my mind is made up. This is the direction that we need to go. This is what's best for us as a whole and for the clients. And we can't have that type of behaviors happening. So I try to stick very like a matter of fact with things and not get too emotionally tied into some of the ugliness that was coming my direction. This feels like a really great place to pause for an ad break. Are you looking to incorporate more creativity into your clinical practice, but don't know where to start? As a registered art therapist, I truly believe that every clinician can utilize creativity in what they do. I absolutely love offering consultation and supervision to share with clinicians how to ethically incorporate therapeutic art making into their clinical practice. I focus on easy and simple interventions with very little prep work for you and your clients. Visit www.cccs.care to learn more. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Our clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie. Plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Moving forward, let's get back to the show. That must have been tough to sit with. But again, I feel like it's like we're saying with sitting with like, as we do sometimes with clients, there can be that aggression or that defensiveness that comes up and it really does pull on those therapeutic skills, which I think is why therapists can make amazing leaders and wonderful supervisors because it really feels like we can translate those clinical skills into managing a Mm -hmm. situation like this because I feel like other supervisors or directors, it could have gone in a different direction if you didn't have those therapeutic skills to help you, like you said, maintain calm, just stick with the facts, everything like that, and not respond and react when our bodies and our brains like are so desperately being like, you know, you have to react to this and we have to really push that down. Yes. I totally agree with that. As like that skill set is something that I think we often just take for granted because we practice it so often that a lot of people do not have. Mm-hmm. That's it's a just, really good point. I, I call it emotional management. <laughs> <laughs> I like yes. I like that. Now I'm curious um, as we often find when we are in supervisory roles or director roles, um, and there are usually other upper management who are not therapists, right? Was there any oh, yeah. difficulty navigating this situation with either your higher ups or your lateral colleagues or things with like, again, you're trying to manage this therapeutically, but also as a supervisor. How did that go with the rest of like the upper management within the company and things like that? Did that come into play at all? Yes. Luckily, one of the ladies that was one of my um, upper management, she was actually has a nursing background. So that was helpful to be able to actually consult with her and to know, you know, what are y'all's standards? What's your ethics as far as this goes? Um, but then also tying and looking at things from the standpoint of what, what are they going to do in out of anger? Mm-hmm. And I think that's always something that comes into play with employees and then also mm-hmm. with clients uh, because they can always report you or report, report the business. Just mm-hmm. And we know those things then have to be investigated. So taking those decisions very seriously, um, but then also really pushing what I felt was the best call and needed to happen. So having those honest conversations with them too is like, 
I really do believe that this is what needs to happen. And we may have to deal with whatever comes about from it, from the client, from the, from the client or the employee. But I did not feel like this is what we want the face of this business to look like. And it sounds like they supported you in that. Yeah. It was some discussion, but yes, they, they ended up supporting me in that decision. So. so there was some, they were more concerned about the risk management to the company end. And you were more concerned about, we can't keep a staff member like this on, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as just in general, it's like we, we have our own personal beliefs and values that tie into things as well. And I'm like, this is not okay. This is creating an unsafe environment for people. And yes, trying to push that on them that, we can't just look at it from a business standpoint. Like we're in a people business as well. Yeah. And this is our job. What did you do for yourself right after this meeting? How did you care for yourself? Because I can imagine not only were you nervous, there was a lot of energy leading up to this meeting. You were nervous going in. And then it sounds like you may or may not have been berated. Um, what did you do right after? The same thing that I feel like I did in a lot of situations, like when we have a rough session or deal with a tough scenario, I would always go get myself up out of my office, go into the bathroom, shut the door because it was a single bathroom and just sit and take a deep breath. Like I just needed a moment of quiet and to separate from anyone else needing anything else for just a few minutes. So that was always my escape. Those single bathrooms more often. <laughs> Go to the bathroom. <laughs> shut the door. Don't bother me. I hear you. Did you feel a sense of relief afterwards? Or did, how did it feel like it sounds like you went into the, the conversation with the employee pretty confident that you were making the mm-hmm. right call to terminate her employment? Um well, I'm gonna question stack because that's what I do best. With, is there anything reported to boards? Or did this impact or anything further outside of your organization? And then how did that feel leaving that? How did implementing the consequences, how did that feel leaving the meeting? So as far as board goes, nothing nothing came about from it. Uh, what was unfortunate is she actually ended up having the exact same role at another company oh. doing like in the exact same field. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was actually a little bit iffy for me. I'm like, okay, do you want to let them know, you know, what kind of situation went on, you know, whenever they want to know, should we hire this person? Why did she get let go? Especially just going from the exact same type of role from this company and wanting to do it at another company. Um, But nothing ever happened to her actually, like from her nursing standpoint. Um, And then I'm sorry, what was your second question? How did you, how did you feel like leaving the session after you calmed down? Was there, I could have, I, I'm sure it was a mixed bag of relief and maybe some sorrow. What came up for you having to manage this really unfortunate situation for a patient and then also for an employee and you're the leader that's responsible for it all. Mm-hmm. For myself, I felt like I did what was, what needed to happen. Mm-hmm. Like this is what needed to happen. And then from a from a business standpoint and from a leader standpoint, I just went completely into okay, how do we solve this problem of filling this role is where my mind went next. I'm like, I have to hire someone new. So I I tend to always go to like, let's solve the next problem. (laughs) So it's like one problem's taken care of, let's go to the next. (laughs) There's always gonna be something. 
distract with more problems. Sure. Yes. So <laughs> on to the next thing. But I felt really good about my decision and what had came about, though. I felt confident. That was the right call. Yeah, it sounds you know like you it. made the right call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm curious. Now, we have gone through the juicy parts of this story, but I'm going to pivot a little bit because um, yeah. a lot of us, again, as therapists, like we have to switch hats very quickly, it feels like sometimes, whether that's between sessions and admin, sessions and other meetings, if you're a supervisor, and you share that you were seeing clients, right, as you mm-hmm. were also you know, overseeing these clinicians and programs, how did you... Tr- translate or transfer or switch roles from supervisor managing this whole really, again, big, like juicy kind of thing going on with an employee to then being a therapist to clients? I think as having that dual role, clients always wanted to come and ask you the juicy questions. So I felt like a lot of my sessions kind of ended up gearing that way. They wanted to know what had happened. They were really inquisitive. And so I said, it was just a small little, you know, community. Wait, so the clients also heard about the rumors Mm -hmm. is what you're talking about. So these rumors were part of your clinical sessions in addition to your leadership responsibilities. Yes, yes. They they wanted to know the juicy details. And I think a lot of it actually came from the client sharing things with other clients. Okay. Um, So that came from his side of things. Uh, But they just, you know, they wanted to know the details, which... The only details I had to share was she will no longer be employed here. We'll be looking for someone else. And so being able to switch roles of this is how I handled it. We don't have to worry about that. That has nothing to do with you. Now, what do you want to talk about today? What, <laughs> where are we going to go with today's session? So yes, they, they overlapped quite a bit. <laughs> did, did this rumor impact any of your other clients treatments did it was it triggering for any clients any attachment i'm thinking like if you're in a close-knit yeah. community and this rumor is going around your clients might have had feelings or thoughts about it did any of that mm-hmm. come up in therapy i think some they get very attached to people especially in i feel like sometimes in a, a treatment scenario where they're seeing the same people every single day, you know, it's like six days a week because it was an outpatient treatment, but they had to come in continuously. So that was something that I think they did have that attachment. It's like, well, is she going to be okay? Or, you know, just wanting to know all the questions. Oh, I'm like, closure. Mm-hmm. I'm like, everything will be fine. You know, it's like, that's all I feel like. Everything's going to be fine. You know, people put themselves in situations and they'll have to figure it out. You know, not to get off topic, but mm-hmm. we could do a whole nother episode on this, but that is something that comes up often that we've talked about so often in console groups on the network is when you are working in a group practice or taking over a group practices, a, a, a former colleague's caseload, and you don't have the right to share why that person left, yet mm-hmm. you're have, you have to help the clients process the loss of that therapist, whether it be because of termination because they departed and they want to keep their departure reasons to themselves, or you don't know why they departed, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it's, it is a very interesting dynamic to help a client process the loss of a therapist when perhaps you know the reasoning and, and they don't. And that adds a different dynamic of knowledge into the therapy room. So we don't have to get into that, but I can fully respect that you were probably managing a lot of different information and mm-hmm. limits to confidentiality with each client. Yes, definitely 
set limits and then your own personal, like, okay, what's appropriate to share, what's inappropriate to share. And then what do you feel like is beneficial and what is not beneficial to even get into? Um, so I don't feel like there was a right or wrong answer Mm -hmm. in that situation. Just kind of taking it moment by moment, client by client. Yeah. That's exactly why Am I Bad Therapist exists because so often we're put in these situations where there isn't a right or wrong answer or all answers are right and wrong at the same time. We're put into these situations where (laughs) we need to do the best with the options we're given and none of them might be good or even all of them might be good. Who knows? But that's why why we're here because there's – so much gray area that we work in on a daily basis. And this one sounds like there were some pretty clear black and white decisions, but the rest of managing the fallout was so gray and and fluid, it sounds like for you, how everything flowed into the other. Yes, completely. And I think we get into this, like as therapists, we like that gray area is why we get into it. It's like, there's no right or wrong. You know, we just it's take great. it yeah, person by person until these situations come up. We do the best that we can. We're human too. Having no right or wrong is really great until it really matters. And then Mm -hmm. it's really hard. Yes. I agree. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I feel like too, uh, so often those decisions are happening in like seconds in our brain, maybe Mm -hmm. not even full seconds, like Mm -hmm. having to see what walks in the door. And you could kind of try to see like maybe if the first person you see is like asking questions, you can try to start to plan maybe a little bit for the next clients. But we don't actually know what anyone's going to say to us as much as we think we might. And we have to make these really fast decisions as to what is right, what is wrong. What am I ethically doing? It's like so many things run through our mind at the fastest speeds. And again, it can be great. It can be wonderful. Those moments can feel really good. But sometimes when it's like this, it's like, oh my gosh, I hope I'm making the right choice here. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hope you're making the right choice and said not giving too much information away, Mm -hmm. but enough where I said there is that sense of closure. And this is that you made the best decision as, as the leader, as as a therapist without, um, to making the best decision in that moment, following your own personal guidelines, your board guidelines and feeling confident in it was just such a big part of that. A lot to balance. Yeah. So what would you say to someone? Like if there was a clinician who was finding themselves, whether having to make, um, do some investigating, if they were in a supervisory role or any pieces of the story that you've shared, what would you say to somebody dealing with this? Seek consultation if you can. I think that always helps Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. from someone that you trust Mm -hmm. that is going to give you an honest opinion at the same time, but not, uh, following, like I said, following our boards, like what clear rules do we have and not give you just an opinion. So give you an honest answer, but following some type of guideline and then to yeah, gather the information the best that you can and knowing it's like, there's not always an exact right or wrong, but you have to, you have to do what you feel good about. You have to do what you feel like is best in that scenario and follow your gut a lot of times and people are going to be mad. Those last two, follow your gut and people are, you're not going to make everybody happy. No, absolutely. No, no. And be okay with that. That's something that I feel like I've really had to grow into. It just as individually, it's people are always going to have something to say. They're going to have their opinions and you're not going to make everybody happy because we're all stop trying. 
yeah. emotional <laughs> beings. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Seisha, thank you so much for coming on Am I Bad Therapist and sharing this one, a truly, I mean, all of her stories are one of a kind, but this one truly yeah. is one of a kind. Yes. Um, so I hope you don't you. have it again. <laughs> oh my gosh. And where can our listeners find you if they want to connect off the podcast? So on Instagram, it's Seisha underscore fit counselor. And then on Facebook, it's Seisha Rogers and fitness and health coach. Perfect. Well, as always, we'll link it in the show notes. And thank you so much for sharing this wonderful story. So many ups and downs, so many places we went with this. It's so, I feel like though so many listeners can still relate and take so many messages from this. So thank you for sharing it. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been awesome. And that's it. The OG bad therapists, Allie and Catherine are signing off for the week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We pick a few lucky five-star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15-minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind. From clinical work to podcasting, we're game. Just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast or wanting to level up the one you already have, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists. <laughs>